The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to BGN Radio. This is episode number 32. I'm John Stolnes from BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnes. It has been a blast doing the Eagles preview shows for you all season long, but now, of course, the 2018 season is over with the Eagles losing last weekend to the Saints in New Orleans. So we have now transitioned into off-season chatter, uh, but we are going to put a bow on the 2018 season here in just a couple minutes. And joining me to do that is the man behind uh, BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Galton. May he reign forever. Brandon Lee Galton, BLG, how you feeling, pal? Now that the season's over, are you are you feeling freer now? Are you are you are you feeling good about how things wrapped up? I'm feeling like that had to be the the least painful Eagles end of a season ever. It had to be, um, and obviously the Super Bowl last year helps with that. I know some people might not feel the same way. That's fine. I'm giving you my perspective, and I just think where you look at this team. At the end of this 2018 season, they fought like hell. To me, it was almost like Rocky won, you know, where Rocky goes into that fight against Apollo Creed. He doesn't win, but he does way better than anyone expected. You know, he gets the split decision and it it almost didn't matter, you know, that he didn't beat Apollo Creed because it was just about, you know, how much respect he got out of that. And and he did everything he could. You know, he it's not like he could have done anything more. Like he he pushed it to the limit. He did everything he could have done to get as far as he did. And that's how I feel about these 2018 Philadelphia Eagles. They gave it everything they had. You know, there was injuries, there was adversity. They they easily could have uh, you know, folded again, like oh, yeah. I always talk about when they were at that point, four and six. You're down to the Giants. You know, the season could have gone way worse than it did. So, you know, when you consider expectations and everything, I think you have to be pretty proud of this team, uh, the way they ended the season. I mean, disappointing. Yes, I'm not going to say that it doesn't hurt at all that they lost. But I just think overall, you kind of have to like what you saw in terms of 
um, you know, where this team finished. And that doesn't guarantee they're going to be, you know, back in the future because you never know. But I think it's hard to uh, hang your head after this win or uh, sorry, after this loss to the Saints. I just think uh, you're, they're in a spot kind of where you you hold your head high and you look forward to next year. You know, I totally agree. And I think that the way they finished up this season is a great springboard into 2019. I think it absolutely gives this team a good feeling heading into next year. I think it catapults them. I, I think it they avoided the, the lost season, as we were worried about. They avoided the 2005 season scenario to come back from that awful loss against the Cowboys in Dallas to rally at the end of the season behind Nick Foles and to win a playoff game in, in memorable fashion. You know, listen, they gave us a memorable playoff. We're always going to remember the double doink. You know, that's great. I mean, who? I was not thinking that that was possible once that Dallas Cowboys game was over. We buried this team over and over again this year after critical losses where we thought the season was over. How many times did we say the Eagles had a must-win game in front of them that they then proceeded to lose? lose and yet they never they, they didn't die they they continued to play hard that speaks to Doug Peterson that speaks to the guys in the locker room how hard they played to finish up the season that they didn't quit when it looked like the team had kind of quit in New Orleans you saw the leaders on this team make sure that that didn't happen and that they were able to rally against the Giants and you know they beat the Redskins lost to the Cowboys and then turn their season around with that win in Los Angeles against the Rams, which I think we're all going to look back on with special with special fondness because it, it triggered something with this team. We saw the 2017 Eagles show themselves again. And I think this is important for everybody when they think about the 2018 Eagles to look at it in a larger sense. And I got I saw this information from somebody on Twitter at Southern underscore Philly tweeted out this stat. Dave Mangles. Is that who that is? Okay, great. Okay, this is a great stat. The previous 10 defending Super Bowl champions follow-up seasons went thusly. Two of the 10 previous defending Super Bowl champions won more than one playoff game. And my guess is, without looking at the numbers, that's probably the Patriots. One One team won a playoff game. That would be the Eagles. Three lost their first playoff game. And four missed the playoffs altogether. So 70% of team of the last 10 Super Bowl champions either missed the playoffs or failed to win a playoff game. The Eagles are one of three teams that won a Super Bowl to win a playoff game the following season. That is a good that is a good defending championship season because it's it is almost impossible in the NFL right now to win back-to-back Super Bowls. There's a reason that the Patriots are the last team to do that in 2003 and 2004. It's been a long time. It's been 14 years, 15 years since that's happened. And so it's really difficult to repeat in the NFL. And for the Eagles to come back with all of the injuries that they had, with all with, with the, the games missed and with the uh, with Carson Wentz going out and the Wentz-Foles debate and all that, to come back and win a playoff game and actually be in position to win a divisional game against a superior opponent in their house for the fourth road game in, fifth game, in five games, it's incredible. That's an incredible finish to the season. I I, I agree with you. I, I think it was a I think it was a season that we'll look back on with fondness. I do wonder though, BLG, and I wanted to ask you this. If the Eagles hadn't won the Super Bowl last year, how devastating do you think the loss to the Saints would have been? Would it have been worse than the NFC title game against the Bucks in two thousand two, the last game at the at, at Veterans Stadium or or the one against the Cardinals in the NFC Championship game in 2008, any of the other playoff losses? Because 
I do wonder that shoot, there goes my alarm. I do wonder that if the Eagles hadn't had that Super Bowl under their belt, how disappointed we would have been in that loss on Sunday. It's a totally fair question. And I don't think it's as disappointing, you know, as that Bucks game. Just the fact that you know, you're on the road I was, again. I was there for that BLG. It was it was a nightmare. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, I, I've always heard the uh, the silence after that game was just you could like hear a pin drop. It was you've just, never. It was the most surreal thing. Be, and as and walking out of the stadium, no yeah. one was talking to each other. Like yeah. usually after a loss, you get people screaming at each other or right. kicking over trash cans. It was it was as if zombies had <laughs> had, had had descended upon Eerie. Veterans Stadium. Yeah. It was so strange. It was the weirdest thing. Yeah, and that's just, you know, that's not what this was. This was a just a totally different situation because, you know, you're on the road, you're the sixth seed against the one seed, teams just had a bye. I mean, you just look at how that game unfolded too. I mean, literally nine starters got hurt in that game. I can't even name them all off the top of my head, but, you know, it was like Chris Long and Michael Bennett and Brandon Graham and Brandon Brooks and uh, Avante Maddox and Rizul Douglas. Rizul like, Douglas, yep. A lot of the and not obviously not all those guys missed the entire game, but all those guys had to come out at some point. And that's not that's a lot. That's nine starters. And that's nine starters plus the 14 players who are already on injured reserve. And like you consider all of that and it's just and then, you know, like Sidney Jones wasn't playing. He was hurt, uh, ruled out in the final injury report. Same thing with Carson Wentz. So it's just at some point it becomes too much to overcome. And I'm not trying to make excuses there. But I think even if the Eagles win that game against New Orleans, I mean, how how great are you feeling all of a sudden about yeah. the L.A. game when you don't have Brandon Brooks and Fletcher Cox is uh, seen in a walking boot after the game? And so was Nigel Bradham. Like, I mean, they were just kind of they were just depleted, really, at that yeah. point, which I mean, if you want to go all conspiracy theory, I mean, hey, the Saints did have a bounty system and <laughs> somehow uh, both Eagle Saints game this year. The Eagles had a crazy high amount of injuries compared to other games. And as we know, the Saints just don't seem to like the Eagles for whatever reason. Um, More on that later in the show. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, But yeah, yeah, so I just think, you know, all odds were stacked against them. Um, I I can't say it doesn't hurt at all, obviously, because they lost and you want to see them win. But just because, and I think Nick Foles said this really well, and it's very pertinent coming from him that, you know, this could be, and very likely it, it is the last team this time, last time this team was together. You know, you're, a lot of the, these guys are going to not be here next year. You know, you're looking at Nick Foles. You're potentially looking at Brandon Graham. Uh, Chris Long could retire. Jason Kelsey might retire. Uh, Jason Peters might not be back. So there are so many question marks with this team and so many guys that might be gone that kind of makes it hard in a way to, you know, it makes you worry. Like, okay, this might yeah. not be instant carryover to 2019 because it's going to be so many different guys. And maybe this was this last chance that this team had to really make a run with this specific window. Now, I'm not saying the Eagles can't get good replacements or, you know, kind of build it back up because maybe they can. We'll see. But it's just not a given. And I think that's kind of where you have to look at this game from a disappointing angle where just like nothing's guaranteed. And, I think you have to think about the Phillies, you know, when back when, you know, they they win the World Series in 2008 and then they go back to the World Series the next year and they lose to the Yankees. And, you know, you just feel like, oh, it's not really the, the biggest deal in the world because they're going to be good again. And they were really, really good again, but they, mm-hmm. they they never got back. You know, they never yeah. made it back to the, the World Series after that point, even though they had one of the what one of the best regular season 
performances yeah. with over yeah. what, 100 and something wins. So yeah, 2011, 102 wins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. So you just never know. Like, you know what, you know, yeah. you just never know that you, you're, it's never a guarantee that you're going to get back there. But I mean, you just have to feel good about certain things coming out of this season. And boy, is Doug Peterson one of those things? I mean, oh, I'm yeah. just, I've never been all more all in on Doug. I mean, I feel like I've been all in on Doug last year and, I don't think I was wavering to the point this year where I was ever really like out on him, but I think as anyone should have been, you know, worried or naturally concerned to some extent, given how the season was going earlier in the year. But I think the way he really rallied this team and the way even just like, I can't get over the the hugging players going into the locker room. Like that's so simple. And I think that's something that we can easily take for granted. Chris Long, after the game, said he had never, ever seen a head coach do that in the NFL. Mm. Chris Long has been around for a while, so he would know. And, you know, for Doug to do that, it's not fake either. You know, like if Jason Garrett was oh, yeah. doing that, like, yeah. it's like it's just like fake. Or, or you know, or like yeah. if Chip was doing that, it's not genuine. But with Doug, like, that's just who he is. He was just being himself. And I just, that made me feel so good, seeing all those guys getting hugs and handshakes going into the locker room. I mean, that just must feel good as a player to be like, man, you know, we just had this disappointing loss, but my coach is there for me. He's not going to yell at me and tell me that I sucked and, you know, I'm the reason we lost the game. He's going to be there for us. And, you know, that's going to make me want to go to battle for him the next time. So uh, that's that's really – I think that's special. I think that's something special. And we always kind of collectively laughed at emotional intelligence, you know, when the Eagles brought him in because it just kind of felt like that was like the top selling point. And it's like, okay, well, is he actually a good coach? And (laughs) I think we have that answered. And I think the emotional intelligence aspect has proven to be more important probably than we realized when we saw that on Sunday. Well, I'm glad you said that, BLG, because you're right. With 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 coaches in the NFL, we we wonder how good they are at schemes and matching up weaknesses against strengths and getting guys ready to play. But part of football and and football more than any other sport, emotion can really affect play on the field. And with Doug Peterson, these guys want to play for him. They don't stop playing. They play hard. They played hard all season, even when the season looked like it was over. This team played hard, and you know I don't get overly emotional most of the time. You know I'm I'm a pretty stoic guy generally speaking. But I and I'm watching Doug Peterson hug his players, and I, I'm seeing how these players picked up Alshon Jeffrey and how yeah. people talk about Nick Foles and 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 with the way that locker room was last year, how everybody had each other's back, and it seemed like there were no clicks on the team. Everybody got along. Everybody was friends. These are special people, you know, the the players and the coaches of this particular team these last couple of years have been filled with special people, populated by special good people. And I don't think you see that a lot in sports. And I'm so gratified that this team won a championship together and followed that up with more success this year. And thankfully, a lot of this core will still be here, but some of it will be gone. And at some point, all of this core will be gone or at least the vast majority of it. But that's probably not going to be the case for 2019. And as the offseason goes along, obviously we'll talk about some of the choices that the Eagles have to make. But it was amazing seeing Doug Peterson hug the guys coming off the field because it makes you feel good about rooting for this team. You know, yeah. it, makes you feel, it makes you feel good about spending as much time as we do talking about the team and watching the game and breaking down film and writing about it. You know, it, it, it feels worth the investment 
And I think it feels worth the investment for Eagles fans. For those of you listening right now, I think that this 2018 Eagles team made it worth your while. Made it worth your while to to take that time out on Sunday afternoons to to invest in the jerseys and the shirseys and the t-shirts and you know going out and tailgating. I know a lot of us love to do that anyway. I mean, it's it's just part of our ritual and our routines as Eagles fans. But this team made it worth it these last couple of years. And and thankfully, you know, you've got a great owner, you've got a great general manager, you've got a great head coach, and I think you've got a great quarterback. And when you have those four things, you're generally speaking in really healthy shape heading into every season. And so as we're looking ahead to 2019 and, and putting a bow on the end of the 2018 season, you know, I think one of the things to to really strive for next year, BLG, as we as we look ahead is, you know, the, the number one goal, and I wrote about it for, for BleedingGreenNation.com next year is to, uh, this week, is, to, is for next year to really be looking at getting that home field advantage again. You know, I, I think that was a big issue as to why they lost this week. Playing on that New Orleans turf, I think, certainly had an effect on the players. Not, these guys don't normally play on artificial turf. It's very rare that they do that. And it seemed as though, you know, the, the, the Saints lost important players, too, during the course of the game, but not to the degree the Eagles did. But playing at home, getting that first round by to getting yourself totally rested. We found out after the game that Alshon Jeffrey was playing with broken ribs that he suffered against the Bears the week before. I don't know if that had any effect on him dropping the ball. Probably it didn't, but... You know, if you have a full week to game plan, a full week to prepare, to get healthy, to get rested, you're probably not as banged up as the Eagles are coming into this game. You don't have to deal with the opposing team's fans, and it makes it it makes life a million times easier when you can skip an entire round of the playoffs and basically start, you know, 25 steps ahead on the game board. That's basically what happens when you get that first round by, and we saw how much that benefited the Eagles last year, and I think how much it hurt them this year and benefited all four teams this year in the in the NFC in the NFL playoffs all four teams that had the first round bye the ones and two seeds all advanced and that has been pretty constant throughout the NFL for the last 6 or 7 years or so BLG yeah i mean you look at all these teams it's the one seed it's the two seed it's really important and to go back to the game a little bit and you'd mentioned Oshon Jeffries drop i mean the coldest take to come out of this game to me is that Doug Peterson or Nick Foles, whoever it was, ran running the play before the two minute warning. Oh, I know. You know ruined it. I just stop. <laughs> I, it does not register with me at all. Like I just I could not care less about that. Like that come on. Like that is not even on my top ten, even top twenty reasons of why the Eagles lost that game. Like just stop. So with that out of the way, when you talk about the importance of home field advantage, I think that kind of <clears throat> so I have a take about uh, hashtag Ooh. I have a take, as Ben Solak would say. Yeah. Did about, you pound you know, the table? Do you have a table to pound on? Pound the table. I have a take. There you go. All right. <laughs> I don't know if I did it right. Close enough. So I, I just I can't help but feel Carson Wentz does not get enough credit for what he did during the 2017 season. And I can't remember if I've ranted about this before, but I constantly think about it because I just I genuinely feel Carson Wentz might as well have done literally nothing in 2017. Like he, he might as well not have played at all. And I'm not trying to disparage Nick Foles. I'm really not. But I'm just saying, I feel like Nick gets as much credit for winning the Super Bowl last year as if he had started the whole 19-game season there, but which wasn't the case. And I think what Carson did to set this team up to win the Super Bowl is still somehow underrated. I mean, you know, they were ahead in the Rams game when he left. If you count the game, you know, the final game he played in, he helped them clinch the NFC East. And from there, yeah. all the Eagles had to do was beat Giants team 
which finished as the second worst team in the league in the Meadowlands, which is basically like Link North at this point. You know, it's not it's not like they have to deal with a bunch of uh, Giants fans on them. So almost like a neutral field at worst, maybe certainly not incredibly difficult. They had to beat a terrible Raiders team whose coach got fired a week later at the link in Philly. And they barely did it, by the way. He <laughs> falls had a right. bad game in that game. So all they had to do was do those two simple things to get the number one seed. Like that is huge. And then they had that one seed and they were able to beat the Falcons, obviously, and they blew out the Vikings. And then, you know, they, they went going to win a Super Bowl and great. But in my mind, I always thought that like, man, if, if Nick had to play on the road in the playoffs, I'm not so sure they're winning the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. Especially more, maybe one road game. But I'm saying like if they have to play a couple on the road, I just, I don't see it. And I, I think we saw it this year. He was not very good. Good. You know, in overall, when you look at his playoff numbers from against the Bears, and uh, you know, he had that clutch game winning drive. So I'm not saying he, he no showed. Yeah. That final game against the Bears and those first two drives against the Saints looked like classic great Nick yeah. Foles. But everything, oh, else, other, everything other than those three drives was really yeah. erratic. And it just wasn't good enough ultimately, and that's a big reason they lost to the Saints. I mean, they only scored fourteen points. Like you can't, you can't do yeah. that. You can't score fourteen points and win the Superdome. It's just not going to work. Uh, and again, not trying to disparage Nick Foles. I am very thankful for everything he did. He's a legend. He will always be a legend. Uh, I am sad, you know, that the Eagles. It's not going to work out. You know, where he's going to be back. That's disappointing because I, in a, a perfect world, an ideal world. You would love to bring him back as the backup once again. And in case anything did happen to Carson, you would have Nick there on the bench. It would be awesome. But, you know, it's just not the reality anymore. So that's just kind of my take with Carson and everything. I just feel like people are sleeping on him way too much heading into the season. I know there are concerns. I don't I don't dispute that. I mean, he has to stay healthier. We all know that. Uh, there, there are certain things he can probably get better at in terms of, uh, I don't want to say getting the ball out quicker, because I think that's kind of a little bit of a narrative thing. I mean, I was looking at the time to release numbers and Carson gets the ball out 0.03 seconds slower than Nick Foles. So it's not like this massive <laughs> difference here. Uh, and that was just this season. That's not even looking at their entire career. So but point being, you know, there, there are, there's room for Carson to improve. I don't dispute that at all. But I just think, you know, people have been kind of way too down on him and way just weird about not giving him credit for last year. That's kind of where I'm at about that. I mean, it was the obvious decision, you know, when Doug Peterson came out this week and he was like, and he was asked about the quarterback situation and he said, Carson's our guy. I mean, that was, no. should anyone be surprised by that? I mean, no, right. like that's, that's what we were saying on this podcast all along. Like it's, it's Carson's job. He's the answer. That's not a slight to Nick. It's just the reality of the situation. Um, and that's where they're at. Well, let's get to the Howie and, and Doug Peterson news conference from earlier this week, because there was a lot of stuff in there that kind of sets things up for 2019 and I got I have a, I have a Nick Foles, uh, a Nick Foles uh, Carson Wentz take of my own here. And uh, you know, I think part of the issue that Carson Wentz this year was obviously he wasn't completely healthy, and we've talked about that a lot. We, obviously, he 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 was healthy enough to come back and play and be reasonably effective. His numbers that he put up were were pretty good, but they didn't score as many points as they did last year. It was he was clearly not as much of a playmaker as he was last year. Forced a lot of things, and he was not the same player he was in 2017 but I think a lot of that can be not having a training camp not having any preseason not being able to get any kind of uh, consistency with receivers and he had received I didn't have Alshon Jeffrey until we didn't have until week four he wasn't ready so I mean it's just there were a lot of those extenuating circumstances too but once they got into the season and everybody was there and and things kind of started rolling along and you expected Wentz to kind of play a little bit better I, we don't know how much the back injury the, the the back fracture affected his play 
could it could have been a big reason why he wasn't playing as well. But I also think when we're talking about, you know, the wisdom of keeping Nick Foles as a very expensive backup in 2019, and you and I both agree that's not going to happen. But I think it would be damaging to Carson Wentz's development to still have Nick Foles here on this team moving forward. I don't think they can bring Nick Foles back. Because I think part of what has what got into Carson Wentz this year when he would try to play hero ball and when he would force things and, and, and not let the game come to him, he's got a backup quarterback sitting on the sidelines there that's beloved by the city because it's the, he's the freaking Super Bowl MVP. And he's widely beloved by the team. You know, the Shrine by Chris Long shows you how loved he was by the team and how they really believed, I think, Nick Voodoo did have some kind... Nick Foles had some kind of voodoo... I called him Nick Voodoo because I want to (laughs) say Nick Foles had some kind of voodoo magic to him. It is. I think the team... I think some guys on the team really believed that. They really believed in Nick Foles. They believed he was a leader. They followed him. And it really felt like they, they trusted Nick Foles to be the guy leading them at the end of the season than if Carson Wentz had been there. Maybe I'm reading into the situation too much. I, I, but I think it was more than just rallying around the backup this time around. Last year, it was rallying around the backup. This mm. year, I think it was more along the lines of, we really believe in Nick Foles. And I think there was a part of this team that believed more in Nick Foles' ability to lead them than Carson Wentz. And maybe for this oh, particular maybe for this particular season given Wentz's health concerns and the fact he got dropped into the middle of the season, maybe that was accurate. But I think that having Nick Foles on the sideline there would hurt Carson Wentz's development moving forward. Wentz has to know that this is his team. And I think that's what Doug Peterson and and Howie Roseman were saying at the news conference this week, was that Carson Wentz is this team's starter. He is the franchise quarterback. And I don't think... There's any way Nick Foles can be a part of the 2019 Eagles or or any other Eagles team moving forward as long as if you want Carson Wentz to be the guy. Carson Wentz has to be the guy, and Nick Foles can't be here for that. That's my hot take. I think the only way Nick would be back is if somehow, you know, he gets to free agency. Let's say the Eagles pick up his $20 million option for 2019, but he predictably opts out of it because he wants to test free agency, and he said he wants to start. So I don't think he's just going to like take that 20 million and be like, okay, I'll be in the backup again. I just, you know, I don't see that happening. You would have to go out into the open market and every other team would have to be like somehow find another answer. You know, whether it's like drafting someone or trading for someone, signing another free agent, you know, Teddy Bridgewater's out there. Maybe someone is stupidly convincing themselves. Sam Bradford is still an answer <laughs> since he's out there. Uh, it would have to be something is like Matt that. Matt Leinert still around? Yeah. Matt Leinert, John, uh, John David Booty, um, all those guys. So that's the only situation I could see it. Like if I had to find that situation and I just, you know, I don't see that situation happening. So I don't think you have to worry about that. I don't think Carson has to worry about that. I will wonder, you know, where is Nick Foles going to end up? Because, yeah, you know, let's I'm, talking looking about the, that. I'm looking at this list yeah. of options. So Bet DSI released the odds for the most nine likely Nick Foles destinations this offseason. And in order, I'll read all nine. It, it is the Dolphins, it is Washington, it is the Jaguars, it is the Broncos. The Eagles are fifth somehow. But I think this might have come out before uh, Doug Peterson had to say what he said on Monday. So okay. or Tuesday was. So consider that. And then Giants are sixth. Raiders are seventh. Panthers are eighth, and then also tied for eighth is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Do you have a favorite, John? Do you think any of those teams jumps out to you? 
Well, I would have said the Jacksonville Jaguars because they just uh, hired John Filippo as their offensive coordinator. But listening to Ben Solak on the latest Kiss and Solak show kind of talked yeah. me out of that a little bit because the, the I Coughlin do agree with him. was really important yeah. there, I think. That Coughlin doesn't really like Nick Foles, doesn't think he's yeah. all that good of a quarterback. And I do agree with him. I think what, what Filippo really did well in 2017 was not necessarily shepherding Nick Foles through the postseason, was developing Carson Wentz was was his big accomplishment and we've seen him do that with other young quarterbacks so i agree i think i think jacksonville goes with a, a younger quarterback and i don't know i agree with uh, ben that i don't think de filippo necessarily has the cachet uh, as a new hire to say this is the quarterback i want to bring in so um so no I, I i agree now i don't necessarily think the jaguars are the right spot i guess i could see the dolphins <laughs> potentially you know the team actually the team I think probably has the best chance, and I would hate to see it. Is oh. I think Washington. I think Washington mm. has a is a is a logical landing spot. It's he doesn't have a lot of he wouldn't have a lot of talent to to throw the ball to in in, in Washington. But what are the Redskins going to do? They don't have a really a high enough draft pick to to pick a quarterback first. I've seen I've seen a mock or two where Kyler Murray is still there. For Washington to nab at, at, yeah. at what are they fifteen or sixteen? I forget exactly where they are. Yeah, They're in the middle there. of the first round. So again, I don't think that's where you're going to get an impact quarterback if you're Washington. And you know they're paying Alex Smith so much money. Maybe they maybe they want a guy in in full so they can sign to a two year deal or something like that. And 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 maybe you can bring Alex Alex Smith back the year after next and and have a competition with he and Foles. But that's that's dumping a lot of money at the quarterback position. So, and it's yeah, assuming Nick wants to go to a terrible organization in Washington. Well, that's true too. <laughs> so that's, that's true a, too. That, that's something to consider. It's an interesting list. I think if we're talking trade, which I don't really think it's likely, if I had to give a percentage that you know the Eagles are going to be able to trade Foles because just of the complications of the franchise tag and the option and all that, I have to say it's like I don't know thirty, and that might be high. That's higher uh, than I thought you were going to say. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's super likely. I. It's probably higher. I mean, I'll give it higher of a chance just because Howie's creative, and I wouldn't, you know, put anything past him. I wouldn't rule it out with him to get something mm-hmm. like that done. And I think it's not impossible that like Foles and the Eagles could kind of talk to each other and kind of try to find out if there is a like, you know, hey Nick, let's get together. Maybe there's something that works out for both of us. Like we can trade you to a place you want to go. We get compensation. You know, we can get you, you know, where you want to go. A new deal. Because uh, they can always take the tag off him, right? I mean, they don't. Once um, you put the franchise tag on, yeah, can you, you can, can you remove? You can remove the tag. Not if he signs it, though. He would he, not oh, if, he right, signed, he, if he signs true. it, and he has to sign it for them to trade to him. So I gotcha. That's part of the complicate. It's yeah, it's comp- It's not easy. That's part of the whole problem. But I'm just saying, if a trade is possible, I mean, the Raiders make a ton of sense to me because they have five first round picks in the next two years. Here, the GM is obviously a Philly guy, Mike Mayock. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that means a ton, but it, it could mean that, you know, he, he likes Nick Foles and he, Mayock is always at the Eagles facility, you know, training camp and everything yeah. based in yeah. the area. So he has a really good idea of who Nick Foles is. So that's something to watch out for. Um, they still have Derek Carr, but they might move on from him. Who knows? The Panthers are a really interesting spot here, I think, because um, originally when I saw the, them on this list, I was like, what? Why? I mean, Cam struggled this year and I get he was banged up, but like, He's going to be fine for 2019, yeah. right? And apparently there's some talk that like he could be Andrew Lucked this season in the sense of like where he just doesn't play at all. And oh, they try my. to get him healthy for 2020, which, wow, I mean, that'd be crazy. Yeah. But I think, 
you know, if it comes to a situation where they just they're desperate for like, you know, a, an emergency starter or, or a fill in starter for 2019. I mean, I think you could they could throw a ton of money at Foles, maybe on a, on a one year deal. Maybe that would you know be really smart uh, of them to do that and, and smart for Foles, too, where he that he can kind of just get like this massive one year deal somewhere um and see how it plays out so i think it'll be interesting it'll be really interesting to see where he ends up i think the broncos might be kind of a they might make the most sense in some ways just because of i think he has a good support system there in terms of strong defense they have a really good running game how much uh, money do they still owe case keenum i mean they just signed keenum okay. to a a big deal last off season i wonder how much of that was was, was Although, uh, guaranteed up front uh, Kubiak is is gone now, you know, from Denver, and that's, that's true. That was, uh, that was Keenum's advocate there, so that's a little bit interesting. And they can move on from him; uh, they can cut him to save ten million, or cut him to save eleven million, uh, ten million in dead money. So it's not a no brainer. I think they can. But here's the interesting thing: they can actually trade Case Keenum I again. I don't know who's trading for him, but I don't know. You never know. Maybe uh, Jacksonville does that and draft a quarterback. And I think they would probably be smart to do that. You know, just throw. Like a lot of resources at quarterback, they, uh, the Broncos could actually save 18 million by trading him compared to only three million in dead money. So, if somehow there's a trade out there, I mean that's something to to think about. Um, so we'll see, we'll see where Nick Foles ends up. Clearly thankful for everything he did in Philly. Thank you, Nick. You know this this year was awesome in part because and largely in part, especially how it finished because of you and how you played. So you know, and and you're going to be missed. You're going to be missed in this locker room for Great as much time. as. You want to talk about, you know, the the Carson angle and all that. Just, you know, as a whole, um, just his presence with this team will be missed. So it's going to hurt. Yeah. And, you know, it's not every person that can be a legend and can have a statue built of themselves at the stadium. You know, Nick Foles is a legend in this town. There's there's no doubt about it. And, And he will always be remembered. You can always wear the Nick Foles jerseys with with pride, no matter who he goes to play for. Dude wins his Super Bowl for you. He's never going to have to buy a drink in this city again, no doubt about it. Um, let's dip into some other stuff from the uh, the Howie and Dougie presser here, uh, BLG. And uh, one of the, the biggest uh, things to note is that Doug Peterson announced that all his uh, coordinators will be back, including offensive coordinator Mike Groh. And in the middle of the season when the Eagles were really struggling, I know a lot of us were ready to say goodbye to Mike Rowe. Obviously sure. winning three games. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I was going to say winning three games at the end of the season and winning a playoff game and ending the season on such an up note. I guess the, the I, I don't know if it would have felt weird for the Eagles to make such a, a, a change at an important position for a guy who was in his first year. But, you know, it certainly seems as though most folks would still have been happy to see Mike Rowe leave, but he's going to be back next year, BLG. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess the the frustrating part with me is that, you know, you just said from their side of kind of like it wouldn't make so much sense to fire him after they went on this run. To me, it would kind of be frustrating to be like, oh, we're totally fine, you know, because the offense did have issues for a good portion of the year and even in the playoffs there. It's not like they lit it up in Chicago and, you know, it's a tough defense and, or yeah. in New Orleans, and again, tough environment to play. So not saying it's all their fault, but still, it's just not like you were super impressed by the end. It's not like, oh, we definitely can't make any changes. I would just hope that they kind of bring in some kind of senior offensive uh, consultant or something. Just bring in some fresh perspective. That was my whole problem with the grow higher in the first place, was I just thought it was a little mm-hmm. uh, boring. It, it lacked creativity. I thought it was kind of too simple. They didn't even interview outside candidates, which just to me seems like a bad idea. I mean, what does it hurt to talk to some other people and maybe just even if you're not going to hire them steal their ideas <laughs> you know like <laughs> i just don't understand yeah. why they wouldn't try to uh emphasize that especially after they put so much emphasis on it back when the eagles hired their coaching staff 
uh, originally back in 2016. So we'll see how that goes. The people complaining about Jim Schwartz, by the way, I have another. Oh, take. they need to shove it. Oh, yeah. What give are you me doing? It. Like, why? <laughs> because he doesn't blitz. Like, just I, I hate this anecdotal stuff. Like, to me, it just feels like fans think that if the Eagles ran the ball on every play offensively, and if they blitz every play defensively, they just win every game. It's the magical answer to do everything. I mean, did we not like remember that the Saints game from Week Eleven, where the Eagles lost forty-eight to seven, was the game where Jim Schwartz blitzed the most this year, mm-hmm. folks? The blitz was not the problem. Like the lack of a blitz was not the problem. And this Jim Schwartz defense, and I'm not going to say that Jim Schwartz is the perfect defensive coordinator and you can never be frustrated with him. That's not what I'm saying. But to, to want to fire him is just, it's dumb. It really is. It's dumb. When you look at the numbers, they, the Eagles are good in a number of key categories. They are only ninth in points allowed this year. They had the number one red zone defense. Um, yeah. for, for, and that's every year. They always have among the best red zone defense yeah. under Schwartz. Yeah. Over the past couple of years, it's been really good. And, you know, you look at people complaining about third and long, and they haven't been awesome in that area, but it hasn't been, like, abysmal. In 2016, they were 19th. Last year, when they won the Super Bowl, they were actually fifth, so they're actually pretty good. And then this year, they were tied for 20th. So not great, but, don't, like, closer to average than bottom of the league, for sure. And going back to their third down defense as a whole – in 2016, they were tied for 19th, but in the past two years, 2017, they were third. In 2018, they were eighth. So their overall third down defense has actually been pretty good. And you just mentioned the red zone defense, you know, third in 2016, 11th in 2017, and then again, first overall in 2018. So I really just do not see the rush to fire Jim Schwartz, especially when they literally just kept the Saints to their lowest, or lowest, their lowest home point total. <laughs> All year in 20 points. And yeah. Drew Brees had his worst passer rating at home the entire year against the Eagles defense on Sunday and his sixth worst passer rating overall. So I just do not see the rush. And again, you just look at the talent that he was working with or lack of, I should say, when you have guys like Cravon LeBlanc, who was playing well, but ultimately, you know, that guy, they claimed him on waivers. And Jim Schwartz literally said he had no idea who that guy was when the Eagles got him. <laughs> and he's yeah. suddenly playing at a high level. And Avante Maddox had never played safety in his life. And, you know, he was being moved all around this offseason at safety and nickel cornerback and outside cornerback. And he was playing well, all things considered. And at one point, you know, the Eagles lose Rizul Douglas. They're down to Josh Hawkins. None of you even know who Josh Hawkins is. I can see a huge reason they lost on Sunday, BLG. He gave up one of the two touchdowns that the Saints scored. Like, sorry. And by the way, it was on a fourth down, too. Like, they took took him to the limit. You know, maybe... They don't convert there, and all of a sudden, you know, it's a big turnover, a big stop by the defense. Like, they they took them down to as far as they can. Like, they made it as tough on the Saints as possible. So, the whole wanting to fire Schwartz thing is just so ridiculous to me. Um, I just think people are – their standards are way too high, I think, for defense. They like they want, you know, like the 1990-whatever-it-was Eagles defense that was, like, number one DVOA all-time. Like, that's their expectation. It's Like, Seth Joyner after yeah. the game was, like – he literally said that – he blames this game solely on Jim Schwartz. And I'm just like, are you kidding me, dude? Like, I, I get it, Seth. Like, you played on some really good defenses. And back in your day, it, it was more realistic, I guess, to hope for that in the NFL back in your time where, you know, you could have this, like, crazy dominant defense. But in today's climate of the NFL where scoring and offense is prioritized and, you know, you're facing this juggernaut Saints offense, like, just to, to not be satisfied with them holding the Saints to 20 points is so ridiculous. I mean, that's that's not on the defense. <laughs> if if, no. if you guaranteed, you know, the, the Saints were only going to score 20 points on Sunday, 
literally everyone would have signed up for that. No one would have been like, eh, you know, I wish they could have kept it lower. No, like that's just not realistic. Yeah. So I, I can't believe that people are, are getting mad about that. The, I think the third and longs really were discouraging to people because of when they happened. I mean, they happened at the end of important games earlier in the season that cost them the third and fourth and longs that, that really hurt them in Tennessee and Carol against Carolina. But was um, that Schwartz's thing- fault? I, I want to get into that. No, and that's quick, the because, thing. No, you're yeah. right. It isn't. Yeah, because Corey Graham just forgets to cover someone. I mean, like, what's Jim Schwartz supposed to do about that? And then in the Panthers game, I forget who it was, but they just slipped. Like, whoever was covering Torrey Smith, just I think it was Mills, they, they just slipped. Like, sorry, like that's not really Jim Schwartz's fault. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, but that's a fair point. And again, to, to understand who he had in the secondary during those in those situations. And I remember when Jim Johnson was running the defense here during Andy Reid's heyday, and he was a heavy blitz guy, bringing, bringing blitzes virtually every play. When teams figured out a way to pick up the blitzes. And when you, when you would face quarterbacks who knew how to handle blitzes, the Eagles couldn't win because they could not generate pressure with just their front four. I would rather have a defensive coordinator whose scheme is designed around getting pressure with the front four guys and blitzing occasionally than having a guy who blitzes all the time. Now, that's not to disparage anything Jim Johnson did here because he was a phenomenal defensive coordinator. He was awesome. But there are there. I'm just saying that to say there are negatives to being a blitz-heavy defense as well. And if there are individual plays where you looked and you saw and you said, hey, maybe a blitz here would have worked, okay. But, you know, I don't know that the Eagles necessarily even had the, the personnel towards the end of the year, the linebackers in place. And when you're playing so many secondary members, I don't know that you necessarily even have the personnel out there to blitz as much as Eagles fans seem to want uh, Jim Schwartz to blitz opposing offenses, BLG. Yeah, uh, I just it's just it's a total non-starter for me. I just don't see. I think that's I th- what you just said about Jim Johnson is probably why we're having this conversation. Just because people got used to that and they loved it, and I get it. I loved it. I love Jim Johnson too. I love you know just the it wasn't just you know the frequency of the blitz, but how he used it. You know he he was exotic, exotic. His, his, yeah, he, exactly. He would do things like that. You know the offense just wouldn't expect, and that was great. And I think that's. That's where some of the criticism of Schwartz comes from because you just feel like he's not as creative. But I just – I don't think that's totally fair. I think Jim Schwartz, you know, he, he doesn't never blitz. Like that's not true. Like he does blitz <laughs> yeah. and he does it selectively. And there are some times where it really works. And I think probably because he doesn't do it so often. You know, he throws a curveball yeah. at you or a changeup, I should say. You know, he, he breaks it out as a, a change of pace kind of thing and it can work. So I feel pretty good with him being back um, – uh, but as far as some of the other coaching staff decisions yeah. go, we have to touch on that. The Eagles are not bringing back at least three assistant coaches for the 2019 season. And now, let's be clear on the wording here, because it's not like all these guys are getting fired. It's the case of uh, defensive line coach Chris Wilson is not being renewed, and his contract is up. And the same thing goes for assistant offensive line coach Eugene Chung, you know, who had been in Philly originally before leaving for the Chiefs and coming back with Doug Peterson. Um, so those guys are moving on. Uh, I don't know, you know, if it's so it's a little surprising that Chris Wilson wouldn't be back. You know, when you think about mm-hmm. how good the defensive line has been over the past couple of years and you really wouldn't want to tinker with that. And you would think that even if Chris Wilson really didn't strongly want to be back, the Eagles would just offer him enough money anyway to be like, you know, we want you here. You're staying. Um, so I thought that was a little interesting. Now, I will say that it's not like the defensive line was full of guys who were you know, no name guys. And he was like coaching them up. So I don't, you know, I don't know if it's like he had the hardest job in the world, but I think from what I could tell from my evaluation of him, he seemed to be a pretty good coach. Um, The players seemed to like him a lot. 
I know he's really vocal. That doesn't necessarily make a great coach, but it's, he had a good energy, I thought, to him when I always watched him in practice. So um, kind of an interesting decision there. And then, you know, Chung, uh, there's speculation that the Colts might hire him because Frank Reich fired his offensive line coach, was, which is kind of a interesting move because the Colts had a really good offensive line in 2018. But it just turns out that that was a Josh McDaniels guy you know, who had he had originally hired and, and it wasn't Reich's guy. So they just kind of wanted to move on. So I wouldn't be surprised mm. if Chung landed there. And then the one where this basically was a firing, but it was phrased as the Eagles let him pursue other options, which yeah. kind of goes with the firing thing, was wide receiver coach uh, Gunter Brewer. As Bo Wolf likes to say, Gunter Brewer. Um, <laughs> he... <laughs> Just, I just don't think he was ready for the NFL. You know, he, they hired him from the college ranks last year. He was Mac Holland's wide receiver coach, which didn't end up mattering at all because Mac Holland's didn't play this season. And I just think we saw so many penalties, you know, with the off, uh, the, the offense, like the receivers not lining up in the right places. And it's not like we saw any of the receivers have especially great years, uh, you know, like kind of you know leap up and come out of nowhere. So, and really just the opposite. I mean, guys like Shelton Gibson couldn't get on the field and like a very disappointing season from him. So yeah, uh, yeah, certainly not surprised by that one. And we'll see what the Eagles do there I mean, in a dream situation. I think the Eagles move Mike grow back to wide receiver coach and hire another offensive coordinator, but I don't, I don't expect that to happen. So uh, those are some, a little bit, some little things to keep an eye on with the coaching staff this off season. One other thing I wanted to mention from the news conference before we uh, give our championship game picks here in the NFL in a couple of minutes, uh, one of the things that uh, Roseman was asked about was um, the medical staff and all the injuries that the team suffered this year. And obviously Carson Wentz had a second straight year where he uh, was dealing with injuries. And the question is asked, you know, is Carson Wentz injury prone? And really the only thing that's going to be able to give us an answer on that is time. We're going to have to see whether or not any of these injuries are recurring for Wentz, but, you know, I think he's, he seemed pretty healthy before the ACL and, you know, MCL tear last year. And, uh, seems like he, he will be, um, given a full off season and a, a full off season of, of reps instead of rehabilitation. I, I anticipate Carson Wentz playing a full season and Howie Roseman said much the same thing at the news conference this week, but his answers about Carson's injury, the back injury, how it was phrased, the timing of it, when Carson went out, what the team knew, when they knew it, he basically refused to answer the question and, and was referring back to the answers that Carson Wentz gave about his back injury the day before, which also did not have a lot of detail. And, you know, BLG, it kind of left me wondering you know, where this team is with regard to their medical staff, you know, who is running the show there. We never got a chance to hear from the medical staff this year. And we know that there was some, some new faces in some pretty high positions with the medical staff there with the Eagles. So what was your takeaway from what Howie Roseman said about how the Eagles were handled this year injury wise? I mean, they're certainly not really killing suspicions when you refuse to answer questions not at like all. that. Um, I, I think the biggest winners, some of the biggest winners from that late season run the Eagles had was the medical staff. Because think about how much we were killing them. Like leading up to that Rams game, after the Carson Wentz back injury was revealed, after the Cowboys game, like we were killing them. They're getting killed. And not just like by us, but like, you know, Emmanuel Acho is out there and then other former players are talking about him. So uh, he really got taken off of them after the Eagles won in L.A. So um, definitely, you know, they were the 
probably one of the biggest beneficiaries from all that. So uh, it's tough. I just it's it's hard. Like I don't know. There's so much we don't know. I guess with the medical staff situation, where it just it seemed bizarre because it's like the Eagles finally win the Super Bowl, and medical staff is getting fired. Like what? <laughs> and you looked yeah. at their how they ranked in terms of adjusted games lost by football outsiders, which kind of keeps track of their health, uh, their health relative to the rest of the league. And for a couple of years there, they were like the healthiest team in the NFL. So it was bizarre that, you know, you know, you had that going on and some of that kind of made sense too. It didn't seem like just good luck. It, se- it seemed like, okay, you know, Chip Kelly for all his faults, he brought in a new sports science program they still have that director of strength and performance or whatever his title is now, Sean Holes, who was like a former Navy guy, Navy SEALs guy. Like they, they invested, you know, in some new technology and a new kind of staff that they didn't have before. Uh, and all of a sudden you saw the health go up. So you kind of figured, okay, the Eagles are in good shape here. But, you know, then the Eagles draft Sidney Jones and, and Emmanuel Acho is, is ripping the medical staff. And then Jordan Matthews goes to Buffalo and he's saying that he had two really bad diagnoses from the medical staff in Philly. So it was just kind of weird. And then, you know, Eric or uh, Earl Wolf, you know, formerly former Eagle safety kind of came out and spoke out against the medical staff too. And so you just kind of had some weird things going on there. And apparently some of those people on the medical staff that they were complaining about were retained by the team when, even though the team made some changes to the staff this year. So all this is to say, like, I don't really know, What's going on here? You almost kind of just have to like blindly hope it gets better, I guess. Because like, what else can you really do? Um, I think the media, like, in credit to Jeff McLean for pressing Howie on that, is doing their part by trying to put a spotlight and a target on it as much as possible. But I mean, you know, for Howie to kind of just shut it down like that, I mean, how much further can you really go? I mean, I think it's it's hard. Yeah. It's kind of just like a dead end at that point. And you know, you push the issue. Multiple people have tried to push the issue, not with just Howie, but Carson and Doug as well. And really, they just won't budge on it. So um, you just hope that guys are not saying those things in the future about the team where they leave or, you know, they're complaining about issues being mistreated. I think part of that is kind of just a NFL problem more than an Eagles problem of, you know, the team doctors being incentivized to push the players to play sooner, maybe than they're ready or. Um, not so much worried, you know, about their health as they are the team's performance. And it's, it's, it's a tough spot because, you know, the players, uh, you know, they obviously want, want what's best for themselves, but they don't always have the resources to just do that. You know, you want to be able to trust the team, but the team doctors want to keep their jobs. So they have to follow orders from superiors and the people signing the paycheck. So it's kind of just a bunch of like, I guess, kind of like conflicting interests in there kind of makes it just, I guess, a tough dynamic, but, uh, you would hope that moving forward, there can be that trust kind of build up there where you know the players are feeling like they can trust the medical staff uh, and, you know, not having again, all these former players or even current players uh, you know, reach out and say that it's terrible. So that's, I guess that's just the hope moving forward. Right. I mean, I don't really know what anyone can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not going to come right out and say, yeah, we, we saw the diagnosis. We tried to get him to play through it and uh, we decided that that would be a bad idea. You know, they're not going <laughs> to, you know, they're not going to cuff themselves and haul themselves off to PR prison. You know, yeah. it's just not what they're going to do. So I understand it. It still doesn't make any sense. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't though. The way the Wentz injury was handled this year still does not make any logical sense. And nothing anyone has said from the time that Wentz was put on the shelf until this week. None of it has made anything any clearer or yeah. really made any rational sense to anyone whatsoever, which leads me to think some 
so you know somebody messed up somebody made a mistake and we just aren't ever going to know about it but hopefully no irreversible damage was done and that this team the hope is that with the medical staff this team gets their act in gear this offseason and improves with keeping the team healthy and being more straightforward with diagnosing and all that kind of stuff so anyway um let's get on with our championship round game picks here blg and you know, next year when we do this, we're going to have to keep a running count. I know you have been participating yeah. uh, on the website. I was I was not able to get in on that at the beginning of the season, so um, I don't know how how you're doing um, with your still picks first. on the still bleeding first green. overall, straight up. All um, right, good for you, good man, good man. This year, I'm one game below 500, so I had a really rough start to the season, but I bounced back here. So hopefully, I can nail some of these games. No one cares. And get out above 500. <laughs> I've been a bit, I've been above 500 in my pace against the spread for the I think the last two years now. So hey, if you've okay. been following my picks, you've been winning money uh, every single one of them. Now I would never advise you to do that, but I'm just saying if you did. Yeah. So we'll see if we can uh, yeah. next year. We'll definitely keep track of that. We can we can promise. That. Yeah, definitely I was, keep. My bad. Care, I, I just. It. I was I wasn't doing a good for the first couple of weeks I was and then I, yeah. I forgot to put pen to paper. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, let's look at the NFC title game. That'll be the first game up here on Sunday afternoon, and it's the Rams at the Saints, obviously in New Orleans. Saints favored by three points in this ball game. You know, it's not, neither of these teams are true rivals of the Eagles, but New Orleans has really gone out of their way to make themselves a pretty despicable bunch of characters here at BLG with the way they were celebrating after the game in the locker room, really sticking it to Philadelphia and, <laughs> you know, how they were running the score up on the Eagles a little bit in the previous game. And I just think Sean Payton's kind of a, kind of a butt munch anyway. And yeah, uh, you know, everybody loves Drew Brees. I'm not, I'm not a Drew Brees guy. I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you. I, you know, it's just, he's not my, not my style. And so I think I, as much as I don't like Sean McVay, I, I'm, I, I got to pull for the Rams in this oh. one. Uh, I think, it's it's not an easy call, but yeah, New hard. Orleans has just made themselves so unlikable these last few weeks that I'm going to be rooting for the Rams. And frankly, I don't think the Saints were all that impressive. And they haven't been impressive towards the end of the season. We talked about that in the preview episode, how mm. Breeze has struggled here over the last few games of the season. And, you know, I don't I think the Rams can go into New Orleans and pull off the upset. I'm going to take I'm going to take the Rams in this game, BLG. I'm going to have to ring the bell, John, unfortunately. Oh. Um, and I feel like, as unfortunate as it is, I feel like I have to root for the Saints in this game, even though I don't want to, and I will certainly not be upset if they lose. Before I get into my pick, let's take a quick detour, John, and go to okay. this whole, <laughs> the, the Saints targeted Fletcher Cox on fourth and one, which uh, you know Warren Sharp tweeted about. And, man, I just... On the fourth and one punt, the fake yeah, the punt play you're talking punt. about. Yeah. yeah, where obviously a very critical play in the game. But, like, I just watched that video and I'm like, oh, am I not – like, is it just me or is this stupid? Like, is this a stupid thing to be talking about? Because the whole premise of that video is, like, the Saints went after Fletcher Cox on that play because they saw him kind of dogging it against the Bears. Okay, well, like, you look at those Bears punts from that game and the, the shortest distance to go from a first down in that game was fourth and four. That's not the same yeah. thing as fourth and one. Like I don't think Fletcher Cox is ever dogging it on fourth and one. He might on fourth and four. And I think, you know, he kind of has every right to. Because that guy is a beast. And he played a ton of defensive tackle or a ton of defensive snaps this year, more than he usually would have because the Eagles were so yeah. thin at that position. So if he's taking a, a play, they kind of take it a little bit easy on a fourth and four, you know, in Chicago, like <clears throat> how can you be mad at him for that? That's so stupid. And then 
like they went at Fletcher Cox with a triple team. Like there's three guys literally <laughs> blocking him. Uh, I know they're not offensive linemen, but like to come to all together, it was two linebackers and one big long snapper. They they weighed two hundred or seven hundred and forty one pounds combined. Like okay, so that's a lot of weight, and it's a fourth and one. Like okay, like I just I I don't know what the point of all of that is. Like are, is it just to get mad at Fletcher Cox for taking plays off? Like I don't know. Is this the Saints? I I think part of the the reason this gets out there and more reason why the Eagles shouldn't like the Saints and the Eagles fans shouldn't like the Saints. This reeks to me of Sean Payton being like, oh, look how smart we are. You know, we went after their best player, and yeah. we got a first down. And you know why? And you know why I think that? Because they did the same freaking thing after the Saints beat the Eagles in week 11, where, you know, Peter King had that puff piece out about how, like, the Saints viewed Carson Wentz and Sidney Jones as the weak points. Like, that is so self-aggrandizing. Um, like, it's, it's it's Sean Payton full of himself. And now, you know, to their credit, they beat the Eagles. They can do that. Like, they, they earn that right. But still, that doesn't mean you have to like it <laughs> if you're the Eagles. Right. And I just think you look at this history and you, you, you see Sean Payton clearly has some issue with the Eagles. And I don't know exactly what it's about. I mean, maybe he's bitter that like, he got fired from them or whatever when he was on their coaching staff all those years ago. Or, um, you know, he kind of li- he lived in Newtown Square for a time in his life. I don't know. He had bad experiences. I don't know what the issue is, but it seems like he has an issue because when the Eagles lost to the Saints in 2014 in, in Philadelphia, Sean Payton had the Saints, uh, the Saints team bus do victory laps around the stadium, which is just like the ultimate Sean Payton move. Just, just such a yeah. D. Um, and then you know, the <laughs> Alvin Kamara comments, you know, that we've talked about a lot in the ski mask thing, which the Saints did again after they beat the Eagles. And they're playing dreams and nightmares after that, like, what is your what is your issue with the Eagles? Like, what get the, your own is, celebration. Yeah, what did the Eagles all, do man. to you? So, I would really like it if the Saints lost. I would not mind at all. I just think you know it goes back to it. You know they're seven zero now at home in the Drew Brees and the Sean Payton era. And for as much as the Saints didn't look impressive, and I agree, I just think that they're going to look better against the Rams because guess what? The Rams did not look very impressive to me against the Cowboys. Like I thought Sean McVay had a really bad game in that game in terms of management. Mm. Like they were not doing smart things and he was being very conservative in that game. And he's not going to be able to win like that. If he, if he continues to coach like that in new Orleans, and we saw that earlier this year, you know, the saints, uh, they beat the the Rams when they had that game. So uh, I I think the Rams are, are going to lose this one. And I really hope they do for the sake of me being able to tweet out that the Rams should be looking for the next Sean McVay because clearly they need that guy <laughs> to help them turn around the team. Um, but I'll, I'll put it this way. Just like the Cowboys-Rams game was kind of like a, a win-win for me and whoever lost, I guess I'm kind of going to try to look at the, the Saints-Rams game the same way. Yeah, and there's really only one team this weekend that I think – we can all really feel good about rooting for, and that's yes. the Kansas City Chiefs. And they're hosting the New England Patriots at Arrowhead Stadium. They're a three-point favorite as well. It's gonna. It's supposed to be extremely cold in Arrowhead, but uh, the whole country is going to be getting into an Arctic blast here this weekend. But uh, obviously the Saints playing indoors, they're not going to feel that. And they have New Orleans anyway, so they don't feel Arctic blasts down there. But as far as this game goes, you know, we're all pulling for Andy Reid. And I don't know that we would all be pulling for Andy Reid. And we can, we can, if if Reid manages to win this game, we'll obviously have a couple of weeks to talk about Andy Reid on the podcast and, um, you know, the complicated history he has with Eagles fans. But I feel much better rooting for Andy Reid, like with my whole heart having had the Eagles win the Super Bowl last year. I would have not felt good about Reid winning one with another team before the Eagles had a chance to win one. Absolutely. But since. 
I mean, that's just that's common sense, right? I mean, it's like when you break up with somebody. Uh, or somebody breaks up with you that you were really in love with, and then you end up getting married first, or something like that. It, it's something along those lines, you know. And it's it, with with Reed. I think it's we would all now that we got ours, we really want Andy to get his, and especially because it's against New England. I mean, no nobody wants to see Belichick and Patriot uh, Belichick and Brady back in the Super Bowl. Nobody wants that. Andy Reid winning the Super Bowl after all this time. This is a Hall of Fame coach. I'm sorry. I don't care. He's never won a title. He's a Hall of Fame football coach in yeah. my eyes. And for, for him for him to finally get a ring at this point would be amazing. So, But he's got a tough task in front of him. The Patriots don't have as much talent as the Chiefs do. And the Chiefs have the home field advantage. I think this is the most talented team Andy Reid has ever coached in his life. I'm very curious to see how Patrick Mahomes does on this stage. Again, just a second-year quarterback. But I got to take Kansas City in this game, BLG, because I really feel like home field advantage for Kansas City is going to be huge in this one. The nerves are back, John. Like, I already – I feel like I used to <laughs> when I used to have to root for Andy Reid in a big game. Like, I'm nervous. Like, you should be. He's one in four up. in conference championship games. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want him to. And, you know, I'm hoping it's not the case. But, like, it's just we've seen it time and time again where it's like you'll we'll, we'll believe Andy Reid wins the Super Bowl when we see it happen. Like, that's that's the I only know. way we're going to believe it's going to happen. Like, and I want to believe in it. I'm not counting against him. Um, and I'm certainly, again, rooting for them. And I wrote about it last week when the Eagles – uh, beating the Bears just kind of put things in perspective to me for some reason about how much Andy Reid has had an influence on this team. I don't think people – and look, I was never the biggest Andy guy. And, you know, the way I came into my Eagles fandom, um, he was the coach already. So he never felt like, you know, like my coach because he was there already. And yeah, at, at the point where I had gotten in, which was closer to the Super Bowl, it was kind of just like – I was disappointed, you know, because he was never able to win the big one. So I wouldn't say I was always an anti Reed, anti Andy Reed guy, but you know, I, I certainly was never like a you know pro Andy Reed guy. I wasn't like a, a stan, you know, or defended him against all criticism. So for me to be saying this, I feel like I, I truly appreciate him more than I ever did. When you just look at you know how good of a coach he is, and and really, I think there was a number of people who thought he was done. When he left Philadelphia, I, I agree. Yeah, talking to people about that when it happened, and kind of thinking like, you know, he it was just over. And I think there was reason to believe that, just the way had, things had ended in Philly. But Andy Reid reinvented himself, and he continues to do that, and that's been very impressive. And now Patrick Mahomes, he arguably has you know his best quarterback ever, uh, especially Absolutely. in the playoffs. So uh, it's it's really a. Again, I'm nervous, John. I'm nervous, but I hope he finds a way to do it because I think it would feel it would feel so much better, you know, than any other outcome this season. And you know, again, the Patriots thing. Come on, like I just don't even want to see them go. Not even just because you know they're an easy organization to hate, just because it's boring. Like who cares? Like who wants to see Brady and Belichick back in the Super Bowl? Like what is the angle to that? Like what is the narrative there? Oh, they're back again. Like who cares? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like and how could they ever really even top their last Super Bowl win where they come back from like twenty eight to three? Like they almost can't. Like so it's like whatever. Uh so I don't want to see them in there. So I will root for the Chiefs. I will hope they win. I will hope that I am not jinxing Andy Reid in a big game because I just I really want to see the Chiefs win it all this year. It'd be great. Uh, it would really be the next best thing to the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. It really would. It would. It would. You know, if they're not going to win it, it would be the best if Andy could 
because it'd be like, okay, man, like that was our guy for a long time. And he finally got one. And all these other teams that we hate, you know, the Patriots and the Rams, McVay and, and the Saints with Sean Payton, they didn't get that ring. So we can all feel good heading into 2019, I think, if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. So let's go, Chiefs. Let's go, Chiefs. Let's go, Andy. And uh, I'm going to be doing a, a, a second episode of BGN Memories, which will be out on Friday afternoon, uh, taking a look back at uh, the last conference championship that Andy Reid coached in 2008 with the Eagles. But we'll also look back at the the one conference championship game that Andy Reid managed to win in Philadelphia, just so it's not a depressing podcast. But um, definitely want to take a look. And if he wins, I have something that I want to do special for a third episode of BGN Memories uh, next week or the week after leading up to the Super Bowl, um, having to do with Andy Reid, hoping, hoping we can make that work. But BLG, um, as far as the 2018 season and kind of moving on towards uh, the offseason here, we're going to get into free agent stuff uh, over the next uh, few weeks and months, and we're going to get into the draft. We're going to break um, the future of this team down. But any final thoughts about uh, the year we just experienced here with the Eagles in 2018? Just... Proud, proud, really proud of this team, uh, of what they were able to overcome. And, you know, in a way, just the feeling of pride being different than, you know, like when they won the Super Bowl last year, you're just exhilarated, you're excited, but you're not necessarily like proud, you know, in the moment because you're just, you're, you're thrilled. Like you're not even thinking of like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of this team. You're just like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. They just won the Super Bowl. This is great. I just feel like I'm I'm so proud of this team and maybe in a different way. And I think we'll always look back on the 2018 Eagles with that kind of reverence, with that respect for them. You know, they didn't win and that sucks. Um, but, you know, they, they fought hard and they gave you a team to be proud of. And for Colin Coward to come out this week and like go on a rant about how he was proud of the Eagles. Was I cool. mean, it was like... What, what world are we living in? This guy hates Philadelphia. And like he's coming out and saying yeah. it. And, and I think that says a lot. I think they they made their biggest haters like respect them. And I even noticed that after the game. Like, it was so different than a regular Eagles playoff loss where you know, they lose and all these Cowboys fans are on BGN or Giants fans or whatever. And they're like, ha-ha, you know, no rings. Uh, or, you know, you guys suck, whatever. Like, it wasn't like that this year. I didn't hear anything. Like I heard nothing from opposing yeah. fans, which is very unusual. And I, and I think it's because they realize, like, wow, you know, like this Eagles team, they fought. Like, you can't even hate on that. Like, you have to respect that, even as yeah. rivals and opponents. So I think that's really cool. Um, I think hopefully it is something to kind of build on for the players that will be here in 2019. Mm -hmm. But, again, that's kind of the, the big thing here, John. This offseason is going to be crazy. I wrote that post for Bleeding Green Nation this week about how there are so many questions to answer. And really at every position – and even the coaching staff, like all of it, there's just so many, there's so many things in flux. And that's really not every offseason. When you look back to last year, their offseason to me was kind of pretty cut and dry. Like you knew Trey Burton, you were going to be able to keep him around. You knew you were probably going to lose Bo Allen, Patrick Robinson, like Garrett Plant. You were going to lose some of those guys. Uh, and they were role players, so it wasn't the biggest deal in the world. Um, so you knew that was going to happen. You knew the Eagles only had five picks in the draft and none of them on day two. So you knew the draft wasn't going to be super exciting. But this offseason is a lot different. You know, they have guys eligible for contract extensions like Carson Wentz now. Um, that, you know, Nelson Aguilar is on a fifth-year option. They have to make a big decision on him. Chris Long, Jason Kelsey, Jason Peters, Darren Sproles, they all might retire. Brandon Graham might be gone. Like, there's so many things that this team has to decide. And, by the way, it's not like they have unlimited cap space. You know, they have the fewest cap space in the NFL right now. And they'll be able to clear it up. Howie Roseman has always proved he can do that. But it's not like you know, they can just spend easily. They're going to have to make like really smart decisions. 
and really careful decisions about what they do. And what the Eagles do this offseason is not only going to dictate how the 2019 season looks like, but probably years beyond that. Like this is a very pivotal offseason for this team. So it kind of gives me some anxiety because like there are so many decisions to make and, <laughs> and you hope they can get everything right. And it's hard to get everything right, but they're going to have to get a lot right this offseason. So as we're looking back, you know, at this 2018 team and we're proud of them, you know, you, you just can't. And there's reasons to be optimistic for 2019 for sure. It's just, you know, you never know. Kind of like we were talking about at the beginning of the show, you never know. And we'll be here the entire way, of course, breaking it down with what they do in free agency, who they should draft. Kisten Select Show obviously will be here as well. Um, I'm not going to make you tweet at me with all these specific rules like Ben selected. I mean, basically making you <laughs> submit a, like a formal like 10-page paper written request just to ask a question on Twitter. I won't do that. You can tweet at me. I'll be much better. Properly easier. annotated and yeah. cited. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just yeah. wanted to remember for that. I thought that was funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thanks again for all the support. It was an awesome season. Thank you, John, for coming on here to the BGN team. Thank you. To, to be yeah. on the show with me. It's been an awesome ride for the 2018 season. Again, we always appreciate the reviews, the ratings. Please continue to leave them, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. It's been an awesome ride. We want to keep it going, and hopefully the 2019 season will be just as awesome. And that's all I got, John. And, folks, that'll do it for episode number 32 uh, for Brandon Gowton. Again, follow Brandon on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. I'm on Twitter at John Stolness. We'll talk to you all next time right here on BGN Radio. That doesn't make sense. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team of Flyers. <laughs>